Various variants. It's time for more facts about the vax on this episode of Pushback. If you're concerned about the direction our culture is heading, then maybe it's time to push back. Greetings, everyone. Dr. Johnny coming to you again this week on Pushback. I've uh, been able to talk about some other really important issues over the last several weeks, uh, but enough questions have been raised and enough feedback and concerns uh, that I think it's time to go back to some facts about the vax. Uh, we've had several series over the past of the la- last year as the vaccine was getting developed and uh, some really appropriate concerns uh, were raised by a lot of my listeners. So I've had a chance to put my medical hat on and uh, answer some of those questions. For those of you that don't know or are new to my podcast, I'm a family physician in central Minnesota and uh, and so I have some experience uh, with uh, operating and, and discussing and uh, about vaccinations. And of course, COVID-19 has been on the forefront of everybody's mind over the last two years uh, in regards to what's been happening and what's been changing. And so now this topic of variants have come up and uh, has certainly been uh, something that's been discussed and, and has been a concern for many different people. On a side note, I was convinced that variant was spelled V-A-R-I-E-N-T, uh, and I've actually quizzed a few people about that as well, and most of them also said E-N-T, but it's actually V-A-R-I-A-N-T. My mother, I'm sure, would have known that because she's kind of a uh, a dictionary of spelling. Uh, but for the vast majority of us, we would have spelled it differently. <laughs> These variants have been popping up, and I'm going to go into some detail about what those are and what that means and, uh, and what the future potentially looks like here as well. I'm happy to report that the vaccine is rolling out in earnest now as we speak. Um, and, uh, and seems to really, uh, production seems to be up and running. And so that's encouraging. I'm going to talk about why, why that's important and, uh, why it's critical that we get these out and rolling, uh, in great amounts and in a hurry. Uh, I'm encouraged also by a recent poll that came out that, uh, the wait and see group, <laughs> you know who you are and that's fine. And I said before that I'm completely comfortable with that and willing to be a guinea pig uh, in regards to the vaccine because I feel so strongly about it. But about three to four months ago, the wait and see group was about 40% uh, of the population, which I think is completely appropriate. Uh, but I'm happy to report that now it's gone down to 17%. The wait and see group has gone from 40% down to 17% over the last three to four months. And I did the math in my head. And if we count up those who have already gotten the vaccine uh, to those who are willing to get it as soon as possible, and then we add in that wait and see group, which is now down to 17%, it would add up to about 80% of the population. And as I mentioned before on previous podcasts, if you remember this idea of herd immunity, the idea of really getting on top of the trans transmissibility of this virus, um, uh, we need to be around that 75 to 80%. And so I'm encouraged that maybe we can kind of get to that number. Uh, so 
I also uh, read just a recent study that uh, now they're, you know, analyzing the vaccine and testing the vaccine on age 12 to 15 year olds. And the studies have come up to be 100% effective, the vaccine in preventing uh, that age group from getting the population. So that age group will probably be vaccinated by the summer. Uh, and uh, we're opening up to more of a broad brace group. And, and so I'm optimistic that we're going to be able to get this thing under control. Uh, the uh, COVID cases were declining uh, fairly rapidly, now starting to kind of peak again, which kind of makes sense because of some of the lacks um, and, uh, and uh, less mask mandates and more things opening, more people uh, maybe getting tired of, of what's been happening uh, and have been a little bit more aggressive in the way that be, they've been doing life, uh, that we're going to probably see a little blip upwards again as well. But there's certainly been this concern about the variants that have been popping up. So let me explain exactly what those are. I'm going to try to go in as much detail as I can just over the next 20 minutes here. Um, you know, the CDC describes, you know, that viruses constantly change all the time. Now that's true. That's what we can expect to see. And that's very common. And they they change through what's called mutation. It's genetic variants that take place in the in in their genes. Now, sometimes new variants emerge and disappear because mutations aren't always advantageous for the virus. A lot of times it's actually less advantageous and it actually dies out easier. Other times new variants emerge and persist. Um, now, multiple variants of the virus uh, that causes COVID-19 have been documented in the United States uh, and uh, uh, during this pandemic. So let me just give you a few of these you've heard. I'm not going to bore you with details and names, but uh, the, the first one that we actually saw in the fall of 2020 was from the United Kingdom. Uh, it was called B117. Sounds like something out of Star Wars or something. Uh, it has a large, large number of mutations. Uh, another one that rolled out in South Africa called B1351. Uh, and then one in Brazil called P1. That seems like a lot easier. P1. Uh, and it was, it was uh, uh, travelers from Brazil who were actually going into Japan. And that was back in January. So these are the variants that we are... that you know, the medical community is certainly keeping a close eye on and watch on to see kind of what will happen. Um, I just want to uh, just read this one paragraph and then we're, we're going to comment on it a little bit. Um, the viruses are always changing, uh, but occasionally makes an evolutionary leap. I'm going to talk about that term. Uh, whenever the COVID-19 virus infects somebody, it hijacks the biological machinery of their cells to create copies of itself. Every so often, the genetic material the virus carries is copied incorrectly, producing what is known as a mutation. Most of the viruses with mutations die out, but some go on to infect other cells in the body and eventually other people. Occasionally, one of these genetic errors can lead to a change that is advantageous to the virus, such as enabling it to get into cells more easily, producing more copies of itself, or allowing it to evade the immune response of people it infects. Now remember, this is common. We see this very often with any type of virus. So this is not unique to COVID-19. I really want people to hear that. Uh, it's common that viruses mutate and change and adapt. Of course, the example would be influenza that we see kind of different every year. And that's why we get this flu vaccine booster, basically, as the scientists are, are evaluating possible changes that could be an issue. So far, studies suggest that antibodies generated through vaccination, this is critical, 
with currently authorized vaccines recognize these variants. So, so far, we're seeing that the variants, the ones that I just described, the ones that we're keeping the closest eye on, are still recognized by the current vaccine. Now, it's possible that it might, you know, we talked about this, this protein that the uh, that the virus attaches to and that the antibody kind of blocks that protein, that spike pr- protein, if you recall. And I, I encourage you to go back to my previous facts about the VAC series if you want more detail about that. Um, and so it's possible that uh, the the vaccine and the, and the immune response to the vaccine may not bond as effectively, uh, but the variants with the vaccine have already been shown and proven in tests and studies that they still have a less severe response, less ICU admissions, and decreased deaths. Isn't that what we want? So the vaccines still are very effective, even against these variants, so far. And so we'll have to keep watching about this. Now, I want to go on a quick little rabbit trail, and hopefully I don't run out of time, but I want to explain the first sentence in this paragraph that I just read. The virus is always changing, but occasionally makes an evolutionary leap. I want to be super clear to my listeners because you know how I feel about evolution. This is not evolution. When we have we have we can have changes within our genetic makeup and viruses are a great example of a rapid recognizable change that we can see very quickly but that's called variation and that's called even adaptation that we can see within a species and that's where darwin honestly got off track because he didn't understand the 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 fullness of genetics at the time. And so when he was looking at the birds on the Galapagos Islands, he was seeing variation within a species. Now for evolution to be evolution, one species needs to change into another species. So if viruses were changing into something that wasn't a virus, now that would be evolutionary news. It's never been seen in history, it's never been reproduced currently, and we're never going to see it in the future because evolution doesn't happen. It doesn't happen as a species change where one thing changes into another. In fact, as we just described, what what changes in our genetics um, in variation and adaptation is actually what's called a mutation, which is usually a loss of information. Could you imagine between going from a, 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 a simple molecular structure all the way up to a super complicated human being, how much added genetic information would need to be required for that to happen? That has never been seen where genetic information is added to the point where somebody changes species to a different species. That's called evolution, and that is not what this is. Some people might call it microevolution, and I'm okay with that term, but that's a term that takes place within a species, microevolution. I believe that happens. We're seeing it right now in real time with these viruses. But it is not macroevolution, where one species changes into another species. We've never seen it. It's never been reproduced, and it can't happen. And so please understand, because you're going to see this a lot in regards to variants and the variations of these viruses, and everybody, including the article I just read, is going to tout that this is evolution before your eyes. It is not. So thank you for that little rabbit trail. I think it's important that we make that distinction and understand the difference. 
For those who have been following this uh, closely or have been concerned about the variants, uh, there is a Dr. Uh, Vandenbosch, and he's out of uh, he's a, a European uh, specialist. Uh, he's a virologist. And uh, he has been making quite a stir, especially among the uh, anti-vaccination group, uh, warning that uh, the world is creating an uncontrollable monster, is his quote, and turning vaccines into a, begin quote, a bioweapon of mass destruction, end quote. And so he's making kind of a, a lot of wild claims and saying that he's not being heard, although there's been mil millions of things written about him, and many physicians, including myself, have gotten information uh, from concerned listeners and patients uh, regarding the things that he is claiming and saying. So let me just tell a little bit about what he is claiming and saying, and I think it's important to understand that he is a veterinarian. Now, I'm not trying to dishonor the man. I don't think he should be silenced or censored or, or put down because of that. He is a virologist. That's more than I can say. Um, and so he does have knowledge of the way things work. Um, but let me just tell you a little bit of what he's claiming. Now, he believes um, that uh, clinicians and scientists are only focusing on short-term results at the individual level and not the consequences of the at the global population level, which he believes will soon become evident. Now, evident in the form of having um, transformed a, quote, a quite harmless virus into an uncontrollable monster. So I don't know if he hasn't been paying attention, but uh, the COVID uh, virus has been quite serious and has caused uh, millions of deaths. And so I don't I would not be comfortable claiming it as a quite harmless virus. Uh, in his presentation, he warns that the COVID vaccines cannot control replication of more infectious COVID variants and therefore may drive what's called immune escape. He, explain, he explains that innate immunity is crucial in halting the cycles of mutations and infections. So a lot of the claims that Dr. Vandenbosch is, is making is that only our innate immune system can create sort of this memory immunity where we can really uh, foster a, a strong enough immune system to not only um, take care of things currently, but in the future as well. And what he's claiming is that vaccines um, don't prevent or reduce asymptomatic transmission or viral replication in those who are vaccinated. Now, that claim is just simply not true. In fact, it's quite the opposite. And ironically, the, the claims that he is making is actually making the case to get vaccinated. This is Dr. Ho, who's from Columbia University at Irving Medical Center. Uh, he echoes what a lot of us feel in the medical community. Let me just read his statement. If the rampant spread of the virus continues and more critical mutations accumulate, then we may be condemned to chasing after the evolving SARS-CoV vaccine continually, or, or virus continually, as we have done for influenza. As for the influenza virus, Ho says, such considerations require that we stop virus transmission as quickly as feasible by redoubling our mitigation measures and by expediting vaccine rollout. So here's two scientists, Dr. Vandenbosch, saying that really what we should do is halt immediately vaccinations because they're actually, because they can't um, 
stop viral replication and they promote asymptomatic transmission of the virus. So that actually creates more opportunity for the virus to replicate. And the more often it replicates, the more likely it is to mutate. And the mutations then increase the chance of these variants. This Dr. Ho, in contrast, is saying because there is that chance of increased replication, the longer the virus stays around, we need to, as quickly as possible, vaccinate as much people as as quickly as possible so as to lower the pool of possible replication. Hopefully I didn't lose you there. <laughs> they see there, there's, there's two... Um, conflicting conclusions, two conflicting conclusions. Now, the problem that Dr. Vandenbosch has is that studies have absolutely proven that the vaccines do reduce transmission in a big way and absolutely stop and limit viral replication in those who are vaccinated. It's exactly what it does. We talked about this. It creates the antibodies to the spike protein so that the virus cannot get into your cells, so the virus cannot replicate. It's exactly what viruses do. And Dr. Vandenbosch creates this this idea that there is no lasting benefit from that, where actually studies have shown that vaccines themselves actually create and boost this T-cell response, which is that lasting response and creates more of a vigorous response in your innate immune system. So the vaccines stop replication and increase your ability to fight uh, this virus in the future, which is exactly what we want. It's a win-win situation. So this Dr. Ho is absolutely right. And and the idea is the longer that COVID stays on this earth and is around and is replicating and has hosts to replicate in, the more likely it's going to be to create these mutations and variants. So as I said before, Dr. Vandenbosch is actually making an argument for vaccination, but is making a false claim that the vaccinations don't do exactly what they actually do do. So we, we, we don't want to partially vaccinate because that would create a situation that Dr. Vandenbosch is talking about, sort of this pseudo uh, immunity where the vaccines still have chance to replicate in somebody who is asymptomatic. So once you start and you get that first vaccine, if you're doing a two series of uh, vaccination, make sure that you get the second one. It is critically important. But the key is, the key to vaccination is that we lower the overall pool of those of us who have the virus, could get the virus, extenuating the virus, so that the degree of variance actually decrease. And, of course, as I said before, the vaccine seems to be effective against the variance for now. So let me just talk about three things that is important and hopefully will encourage you as we go forward and we're facing this idea of variants or maybe even new variants popping up here in the future. Now, first of all, number one, I want to say that variants are not new strains of viruses. Um, some news reports have described these new versions of COVID-19 as strains. It's actually more accurate to describe them as variants because it's still the COVID-19 virus, just with some variation. So we can learn about the way that we talked about it, but it isn't an important distinction that we're not creating some new monster virus. Number two, sequencing has played a crucial role in tracking new variants. 
we we are living in a crazy time of scientific advancement. And the COVID-19 pandemic, um, compared to past ben- pandemics, the level of scientific scrutiny that has been brought to bear on the virus, thanks to, to genetic sequencing, is amazing. We, we've sequenced the viral genetic code in samples taken from patients, and this has allowed experts to track the virus. And when it spreads quickly or they spot a new variant and they emerge, um, then we um, have this genomic surveillance system already in place. One doctor said it's almost like science fiction, like we can't believe it. When these things pop up, we're able to detect it so fast and we can trace it and follow it. The beauty of that is that this rapid detection has allowed um, rapid steps to control the spread of virus variants so that we can lock things down quickly if we have to, travel restrictions, for example. Um, but this idea that within a month of finding a, a variant um, that we can we can change things quickly, we can isolate it, um, and we can obviously uh, monitor it, it's sort of unprecedented, the things that we can do right now. So the fact that we can genetically track these things so quickly is a huge advantage in this pandemic versus pandemics of the past. And of course, the last thing, and this is important to understand, the vaccines are already being made to deal with these variants. So some COVID-19 vaccines already show signs of being less effective at times, like I said, maybe not sticking quite as well. And so some manufacturers have already begun the process of developing booster shots, very similar to this influenza shot that we get so that we can get extra immunity against these versions if this becomes more critical. As long as the current vaccine seems to be working and it seems to be controlling things, these booster shots may not need to be necessary. But that's the beauty of this genetic tracking that we have is that we can see in real time what's happening. We can see fatality rates and ICU rates and and and, and we can isolate the ones that would be of concern and then we could develop a booster to them if needed. So I want to put your mind at ease that even though these variants sound scary, like like the scientific community seems to really be on top of it and is able to track it in real time. There's a growing list of variants under investigation, and it's likely some of these will become variants of concern. That's the word they use, variants of concern. If the virus changes enough to be able to avoid the immune systems of those who have received vaccines, then antiviral treatments could be a crucial way of controlling the disease until the new vaccines can be developed. So if the vaccines take a little bit of time, antiviral treatments, which are similar to like antibiotics for bacterial infections, um, there are antivirals such as like Tamiflu, medicines that we can give for influenza, uh, antiviral type medicines like that could be very effective in treating some of these people with with, um, with variant viruses. And that could really help them from a treatment standpoint as well. So there's a lot of things on the horizon that will take care of this, but the key in the short term, if you haven't heard me say this before, is to get vaccinated. It's working, it's helping, it's been safe. Um, and, uh, and so far, the studies of it have been very effective. Now, I know that there's a percentage of people in that survey that I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, there is about 15 to 20% of the people that still say no, they won't take it. There's about 12 to 13% that says, under no conditions, will I ever take it? And that's okay. And this is why um, we have these discussions. I just want informed decisions. That's all I'm asking. 
And, uh, and so far, things seem to be going as expected in regards to vaccination. And I wanted to bring up this issue of variants because I know it's been on people's minds. And of course, we'll watch it as things go forward. And there's some things that are unknowable at this point because this is a new virus and, and we're tracking it and, and learning so much each and every day. So hopefully this helps answer some questions. Hopefully I didn't make it more confusing, uh, but I wanted to understand, have you understand uh, what a variant is, uh, what the approach is, why vaccination is still so important and critical, uh, and, and the fact that things are going to be okay moving forward. So hopefully that gives you hope and life as we as we enter into uh, this new chapter and this new year in 2021 uh, dealing with this COVID-19 virus. Thanks for hearing me in this. I really appreciate it. And once again, I'm not afraid of your questions. The, this uh, whole podcast came from those who have been responding and asking really appropriate, knowledgeable uh, and uh, questions that they're concerned about. I'm happy to answer them. Um, I will never shame you or make you feel bad about it. And if you disagree with me, I honor that as well. So I'm, I, I open your, I, I ask you to leave uh, feedback, gofam.org, as well as pushbackculture.org. Pushbackculture.org. Uh, you can leave a, a response there, and I'd be happy to hear from you and get back to you as well. So thank you for your time again this week. I look forward to talking to you next week. So now let's go together to set and shape the culture. <laughs>